So, uh, the Zoom call says Danny Ogden Glaves and Matt. Uh, I can't remember your surname, Matt. Uh, Lax. 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 Of course. LAX. That's the one. That must have been fun <laughs> when Rachel Stevens had that song. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> good song. It's a hell of a good song. Um, NewYorkTalk.co.uk. New York Talk, the name of the podcast. You can find it on Spotify uh, and through YouTube where there are video logs. Are you aware of Nappers of Fleetwood Town? Yes. Yes, yes I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a, a vlogger of some repute. I had him in mm. um, and I've had fans of a lot of League One teams. Uh, it's quite nice uh, to go down, to stoop so low. Although I say that, my first time I went to Watford, I was 10. Watford were in the third tier. We were playing Wrexham. Uh, Ronnie Rosenthal was in the squad. That's how long ago it was. But uh, 97-98 saw some glory at Millmore. Uh, and um, like Arsene Wenger and Arsenal, Ronnie Moore uh, delighted Millmore. 400 games, some promotions, including Division 2, where you finished second place to Millwall. Was there a, an open-top bus celebration when you went up to Division 1 in 2001? Yes, there was. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, there was a bit, a bit of a pin. It's, almost, it's not quite a pinnacle, you know, staying in the championship is, is where we want to be. But to finish second, from where we were, back-to-back promotions, it was. We've, we've done it again since, and it's an incredible achievement. Um, you've got to bear in mind at the time we've got a good owner now who will spend the cash there was no cash to be spent back in those days by Ken Booth who kept us alive but never really invested in us um, so we did thankfully get a open up bus parade and, and it was richly deserved for those players because there were some heroes in that team It's been quite a big year as well for them. 20 years since that 60 years uh, since well, was your granddad at the League Cup final or was he listening to it on the radio <laughs> in 61? Uh, I don't know anybody that was there. If, if I do, I haven't asked them about it. I should have really asked people about it, shouldn't I, really? It's something, something to consider for the pod. You've got lots of hours of content yeah. to fill. And I know a sports journalism student who would love to get his teeth stuck into that. Was it Villa who won in 61? Yes. Yeah. You, have, you have no idea how many tweets I have sent to the EFL Cup account when they go banging on about Villa winning the first cup final, it's like, actually, no, Rotherham won the first cup final. It's just that Villa beat us on aggregate in the second one. <laughs> I think the, 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 sto- the, the story goes that we won the first leg, like, I think 2-0, yeah. and that Aston Villa, because it were the first season of the FL Cup, it, they didn't want to play it. Aston Villa, going, I think they had European commitments, so Aston Villa proposed that we don't play the second leg and Rotherham can just have the trophy because they didn't really care. Uh, and apparently we insisted that we should definitely play the second leg uh, and then lost 3-0 or something like that <laughs> and losing the final. That is a, not just a great story, but I hope it makes a book. Uh, this is the Football Library and uh, you've got your Paul Warren laminated Football Library cards. We've got Roy Keane at the door, Johnny Nicholson at the front desk and then programmes and magazines and videos and podcasts and book after book. Are there any Rotherham United books that I should place on the shelves of the library? I, I, I would I would say the John Brecking one. Mm. Ah, this is... The John is... Brecking one that he wrote in collaboration with Les Payne. That book is amazing. Because it, it, it plots John Brecking's life in football. I think it's called um, Breck Bre- My Life in Football or something, something like that. 
and uh, and John Brecken is a local lad. He's from Kimberworth, uh, and it's and it tells about how he grew up in like the old terraced housing and how he got into Rotherham's team, into the first team, ended up being a, a, a club legend, and how he sort of dabbled at management, and he was Ronnie Moore's number two in the uh, double promotion season back in two thousand. It is a really great read, and it's got lots of different pictures that I find fascinating of how football used to be back in the 70s and 80s. It's a really good book. That's the era. I mean, it's incredible that there are now books being commissioned about football in the 90s, and that's nostalgic. To go back to the 70s and 80s, back in them days... Oh, by the way, as Yorkshireman, do you, have you ever done You Were Lucky? Have you ever done that? Have you ever compared your lives no. to the, the lives that other people have led? You know that skit, The Four Yorkshiremen from Python. I actually have compared my life to how it used to be because, I mean, my generation is more, it's the privileged generation. Like You look at kids my age and, and younger who are very privileged in how good their life is. And, I mean, where I live, I live just down the road from what used to be a coal mine. You know, and it's like if I was this age back in the 60s, I'd, I wouldn't be doing sports journalism or going to university or anything. I'd be down pit, you know, 900 metres below ground. So, yeah. you, you know, I, I do compare my life to what it was like 50 years ago and it sort of makes me smile how good my life is but also how easy it is compared to other people and it sort of puts that that idea of grafting you of you need to put work in because what, imagine what people did 50 years ago to be in this position. That's right, and football was a safe place to be because you got the same amount of money going down a mine but you wouldn't have uh, earth coming to bury you and we should never forget yeah. that what is rotherham's industry now what is it well known for nothing positive unfortunately. <laughs> press i think yeah. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of negative press the only positive thing really is the football club that's a, that is a strong positive the, the, the work they do in the community and things like that it really that really is a shining light uh, they're trying to do up the town centre, doing lots of building work and trying to modernise it. Uh, but that's still sort of work in progress, really. I would say, like, in terms of heavy industry, I'd say there's still a bit of steel mm. uh, in the in the town. Um, and the main big thing is um, the big uh, advanced manufacturing part that everyone kept saying was in Sheffield. It isn't. It's in Rotherham. We are going to stress that point because people get it wrong all the time. And then they have like uh, Rolls-Royce and Boeing and, and all sorts doing manufacturing there. So that's that's good to see. That's a good bit of industry. And then other than that, there's nothing really to shout about anymore. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I'd love to do one, once the library has opened properly, because it's just a mind palace at the moment, is to take it on tour, the library on tour, and actually go do the 92 uh, currently I'm reading the 92 and I think I'm up to, no joke, I think I'm up to about 65, which is pretty good. And I'm ticking Rotherham United off today who play at the New York Stadium. I'm talking to Danny and Matt from New York Talk. I hope you have a good season talking about what goes on at New York. The big news uh, from what I've uh, gathered is that your defence is terrified Will Griggs on fire. Have you seen the Sunderland documentary? where Grigg plays a cameo role because the chairman, uh, Methven and Donald, it's about Will Grigg and they vastly overpay for him and he doesn't do anything yeah. at Sunderland. So now he's back in... Uh, has he played in the, in Yorkshire before? I'm not sure he has. I don't think so. He played at Wigan in Lancashire. I don't think he's played anywhere near here, near here before. No, I don't think he has. He scored at New York Stadium but for Wigan, I think. 
Uh-huh. And the, the question that proves that I have been following what's going on at Rotherham United, is he a dicko or is he a tubs? Only time will tell. Um, Lewis uh, was the guy who wrote the piece welcoming him to the club, calls the Grig signing a free hit. And that's because he might not displace the current 9 and 10. He might be an impact sub. Uh, so, the, the, the two players is referenced there is Nua Dicko, who we had loan loan from Hull, I think. Hull or Wigan. He only played something like seven games, but he got six goals and was an absolute superstar. Uh, and it was he went to Wolves, so in the same league at the time, but massive budget, so we lost out to him. Uh, and then Matt Tubbs was, we under Steve Evans, uh, Steve Evans had been telling everybody in Rotherham for two years that Matt Tubbs is amazing, that he's going to bring him in. So he finally brought Matt Tubbs in, and I think he scored one goal in about 20 games oh, or something no. like that. So he, he got the, you know, those two two ends of the spectrum. It, it's going to be interesting. If he can find his, find his feet again, find his goals, then happy days. And I think Paul Warren is the type of manager who can put his arm right. If somebody needs to put their arm, you know, he, he talks about Michael Smith needing to be loved. By the sound of Will Grigg, might be something similar along that lines because it obviously didn't, it was a lot of pressure at Sunderland, uh, not necessarily a it doesn't seem like a conducive environment in previous seasons at Sunderland and I don't think that's worked in his favour so if Paul Wong can create a good environment for him brilliant if not we haven't paid much of a a transfer fee wages will fit into our wage structure we need a fourth body in terms of a striker as well it is a little bit of a free hit really yeah and good luck to him Freddie Ladapo Ladapo is the other striker and uh, Lewis said 15 plus goals this season there are lots of games 46 in that division. And also, you got the JPT. Is it still called... Or is it called the EFL Trophy now? Or is it called the Pizza Hut Trophy? What's it called? <laughs> Papa they always call it the Pizza Cup, don't they? Yeah. The Pizza Cup, yeah. Uh, other, other very expensive pizzas are available, but Papa John's tends to be good. And talking of anniversaries, 25 years ago, and this has been marked on the podcast, the Football League Trophy went to South York's. The Football League Trophy. It's, and it, it's a chance for a littler club, a more provincial club, to have a big day out. Um, you wouldn't have gone there, Matt, would you? That young, to the place that big? Uh, I was a little bit too young. Uh, my dad didn't want to take me to Wembley. And I've never let him forget that. Mm. <laughs> but did you watch it on live on Sky? It wasn't live back then. Uh, the first televised final, I think, was 98. There we go. So That's we, why... We that was what I was searching for in that big gap that I'll edit out. Um, just what what was the status of the Football League trophy? LDV vans. It's it's that one. It, people it was care the about also it windscreen win. shield at the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, people didn't... Well, people outside the, the club didn't didn't really care. But that probably led to... I think we took, I think we took 25,000 fans that day, which is a record attendance uh, for, a, for a set of Rotherham fans in it anywhere. Um, so that... The fact they weren't on telly might have helped the attendance figures, to be fair, looking back. No, that's very shrewd. And I'd love someone to do a history of that. Um, In the Football Library, we've got books about the three main European trophies before the modern day. So the European Cup, UEFA Cup and Cup Winners' Cup, all written by Stephen Scragg. And the European Cup is the latest one. Uh, There's also a book written by James Dixon about the first Champions League in 1993. But I'm looking for books to write. I'm writing one about the Youth Cup because no one's written one about it. Uh, and the second book I want to write is about the relationship between the footballer and the fan. So using Michael Smith as an example, would he have been... Does he live locally, for a start? 
Luckily, I think it's from Newcastle. I think he still lives up in that area. Oh, okay, so he commutes. Uh, but if he's around and about after training and he bumps into a South Yorkshireman, and I'm not going to do the accent, it'll, it'll make, it's made a lot of people happy that Michael Smith is still at Rotherham after transfer deadline day, including you two, I guess. Yeah, 100%. I mean, his nickname at the club is Smudge. Uh, whenever yes. Paul Warren does it, whenever Paul Warren does an interview, it's always Smudge. And I think he embodies something that Rotherham United likes to not not show off, but it's something that we're quite well known about. Is taking a player who isn't particularly renowned or at a stellar club or anything, and turning them into this like diamond of a player who generates a lot of interest. Smith is a prime example because we we bought him from Berry. For about sixty grand, and yeah, about sixty grand, and he couldn't get into the Berry team, and we brought him in as a replacement to when we lost Kiefer Moore because he went off back, uh, back, to, uh, back to his parent club because he'd done so well for us, and we're, and a lot of fans at the time were thinking, well, who's Michael Smith? It can't be that good, you know. He can't even get into the Berry team, and how wrong we all were. I think the reason why fans love Michael Smith is because he proved us so wrong. And so whenever he talks to our fans or, or you know, just your stops and like sign something for you, you sort of have that respect to him of you're, you're a really good player and you proved us all wrong, so fair play to you. And I think he knows it a little bit as well, but he's not the sort of player to brag about it. He's there to get on with his job, play well, and he's just a all-round good bloke, to be honest. Although his heart must have been up and down because he helped Rotherham go up in 18, down, up and down again. Um, as many promotions as a manager we, whom we can't name. We'll just call him Colin. Um, but we'll we'll move on to uh, that era of Rotherham. You have at this website, newyorktalk.co.uk, lots of merch. And you actually have some of the best 11, uh, which is useful because I usually ask when I'm trying to read the 92 who your best 11 is. But we've mentioned John Brecken. Uh, Pringle, Arneson and Towner are three other names. Between you, can you just fill in the best 11 of Rotherham? We've mentioned Paul Hurst, uh, and there's a few more who were mainstays of the Ronnie Moore side of the 90s and 2000s. But um, Arneson, Towner and Pringle are the ones on the T-shirts. Yeah, so the, the, we, we, this came from a poll we did during lockdown. Uh, we did a few episodes and let the fans vote on their greatest 11. So in goal, they picked Mike Pollitt, who is, I think he's our coach at Preston, it's a funny story, Mike Paul. He was a superb goalkeeper, six foot something, massive guy, brilliant shot stopper, pretty good at you know coming across as well his forte, but he was still very very good at it. Came through at Man U. Played in played in exactly, yeah. Man U. Yeah, absolutely. He came and signed for us, I think, from Man U um, on a free, and then we got promoted with us that first season, the third season or anymore, which our first promotion. And then he decided to leave and go to our local rivals, Chesterfield, who were still in that bottom division, uh, which didn't go down terribly well, as he, as he found out during the LDV Vance Trophy game, where it wasn't a pretty sight. He couldn't get anywhere near his goal because people were throwing things on the pitch at him, singing Judas at him. It was quite an ugly scene. But then a year later, he came back and everything was rosy and we were all friends again. It's football. football. <laughs> yeah, you need to have like a jingle and go, did it? That's football. What a, what a fun... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and there, there is a podcast that would I'd love to hear that jingle in the middle of uh, people who are listening for 18 months going, why is there a jingle? 
Why is there a jingle in the middle of this wonderful podcast? Um, and who are the back? I guess are back four. Yeah, back four. Uh, John Brecken as left back. Carrie Arneson is a centre back, Icelandic centre back who people probably know from the Euros and the World Cup from Iceland. Martin McIntosh is a Scottish centre back who again played under Ronnie Moore days. Both of those centre backs are technically excellent. More, they were more probably more technically excellent than uh, than in the air, but both very very good, excellent footballers. Uh, Jerry Forrest is a right back. Now again, he's before my time. He was early eighties. My dad talks of him. Uh, being again, again for the best right back they've ever had. But then Tony Towner, like we've already mentioned, he was a right wing again back in the early eighties. Early eighties was a bit of a heyday for, for Rotherham. We finished, I think, seventh in the old second division, so what is now the Championship uh, before playoffs. So we, we wouldn't go anywhere near. But that was other than the fifties. That's a highest ever league position. So it was a. That's why there's so many players in from that period mm-hmm. uh, in there. Central midfielders Will Volks and Freckleton. Uh, I'll let Danny talk about those two clubs talked a lot, but they're they're two also sensational footballers. So yeah, with uh, with with Frecklington, uh, I actually had the privilege of uh, of meeting him because I was at college uh, with Rotherham United for a bit, and he came in to do a talk with us. And Frecklington is your proper old-fashioned box-to-box midfielder, runs absolutely everywhere, but he's also a, a proper leader and if if you ever wanted to follow someone into battle I'd follow Frecklington because mm. some, sometimes he has that look and he, and he can just look at you and you know you've stepped out of line he's that sort of bloke but at the same time he'll praise you if you've done brilliantly well um, and I believe he's now frickly athletic uh, playing for them because his dad's their manager um, so he sort of roped, he's, he's roped his son into playing for his club so it's like being 10 years old again isn't it and then with Will Volks, again, one of them characters who, who came to our club wasn't of the best quality, but again, we moulded them into another diamond. And I believe he's still our record uh, transfer fee received. And I think it was just over two million for him. Isn't that what you do in um, a coal mining town? You you literally make diamonds. Yeah, you, you make diamonds from the rough stuff out of the earth. And yeah, yeah <laughs> that's what Rotherham does. That and the Chuckle Brothers. Um, yeah, that oh, was yeah. Brothers. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting, right? You, you said about Macintosh being in uh, your best 11. I've just bought one of his old shirts. Have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah oh. he came with the post the other day and it's Macintosh 15 and I just thought, oh, it's an old player's shirt. I'll have a look at that. I did some research on him. Oh, it appears to be one of our best players. Brilliant. <laughs> it was super Macintosh. Again, sounds like a uh, proper, proper footballer's name. None of your Carlos kickers. <laughs> Kickable uh, So who have you got out out wide and up front? Out left, we've got Ben Pringle, who many many lower league football fans will have heard of Ben Pringle. He was us Fulham, the best left foot I've ever seen in a, in a Rotherham shirt. The things he could do with that one foot, he, he couldn't. He wasn't particularly fast. He wasn't particularly strong. He couldn't really take on a man, although he had a go, go at times. But that left foot he had was just genuinely something else. He could put it wherever he wanted, and then. It was Steve Evans' team, so they were quite strong and physical in the box. So it was perfect for us. That's that. He, he was a huge part of that promotion, double promotion under Steve Evans. Um, he got a lot of stick because he, because he, he was a little bit lazy at times. But without him, we would not have got those promotions. For me, there's no doubt about that. And that's why he deserves his place in the team. The two men up top, we've got Bobby Williamson. He was a guy. I think this again, slightly before my time, at very early nineties. He was part of the championship winning team of the old division four. Scored a ton of goals uh, in those early days. And the last striker we have is Adam Lafondra, uh, Alfie, who 
well, he started at Rochdale, but he made his name at Rotherham United. He's, I think he scored 50 goals in something like 90 appearances. He's, uh, he's the deadliest finisher we're likely ever to see in a Rotherham shirt. Give him the chance that he's, he's going back at net for him. But obviously, he went, he went on to Reading. Um, so I think he still holds a record for the most goals by a substitute appearance in a single season or something like mm-hmm. that. Almost got his England cap, almost got an England call-up, which would have been uh, fantastic. And I just, is it, like Danny, I've had the pleasure of speaking to Alfie when he went to India, we did a Zoom call with him, an absolute gentleman. And he loved his time at Rotherham. And that's what we want to hear. We want to hear these guys, you know, ha- enjoy their time with us as much as we enjoy with them. And so I say, this, say that for Alfie. And you can hear all these interviews uh, on the New York Talk. Uh, R-U-F-C underscore pods. There's about 680-odd people who like it, which that's nowhere near, nowhere near as many as it should be. New York Stadium can get 12,000. Uh, who's on your wish list? Who do you really want to talk to? We'd love to talk to Lee Frecklington. Um, he's actually... He, uh, he, he epitomises everything that's right with the, with Rotherham United. He's, like Danny said, he's, I would follow him into battle. I absolutely would follow him into battle. Good. Um, it was, it was such a, such a play. He's, he's the one I'm, I'm chasing at the minute. Don't know about Danny. Excellent. And good luck with that. And um, by the time this goes out, you will have had two months of games and hopefully following. Because a lot of these lower league podcasts, these players are reachable. And the vim, that the, I'm not going to use the word passion. Passion means suffering. Uh, the vim that the fan has for the club, it... That we at Watford, we have these really fanny fans, the fanniest fans. But I don't know how can you support a, a club where nothing goes right. I mean, we followed Brentford. Uh, what links Brentford, Watford, Swansea, and Rotherham? Uh, I don't know. That's a good I one. might have stumped you. Okay, the clue is he abolished the under twenty threes at Brentford. Rob Scott. Scott is right. Andy no. Scott. Andy Scott. Andy Scott. Um, ah. We we brought him in. Uh, at Watford, got rid of the under-23s, created effectively a Watford B or a reserve team. He is now at Swansea, but the name pops up in between Moore the second and Evans. Um, so just take us after the Ronnie Moore. Harford, Nil, Robbins, Moore 2, Andy Scott, Evans. Matt, was any of that fun? No. <laughs> Good. Moving on, moving on, quick. Uh... <laughs> Why did Ronnie Moore come um... back? Uh, he came back because we lost Mark Robbins. Mark Robbins came in and did a pretty good job, to be fair. This was, a, he started when we had minus 17, kept us up in the end comfortably. I think we finished 14th, having started at minus 17, which was an incredible achievement. But it obviously meant nothing. The second season, Mark Robbins started really, really well, signed Adam Lafondra. But then he left to go to Barnsley, which again left us out of Mouse going to a local rival. And being in League Two, you know, we, there was a bit of money behind us. We told Stuart, not millions and millions, but a reasonable amount of money. And Ronnie's done the job before. You know, he got us out of League Two or Division Three at the time and got us up to where Tony Stewart wanted us to, to be in the Championship. Uh, but it never quite worked out, unfortunately. We, he got us to a playoff final, but we were pretty convinced. We lost 3-2, so it wasn't convincing, but we were never going to win the game against Dagenham and Redbridge. We were second best all day. And then he, he got sacked. We lost 5-0 to Chesterfield live on Sky to another local rival. Mm. Um, and he said something along the lines of if he had a gun, he'd shoot the players. Uh, and then he was swiftly sacked after that. <laughs> no. You can't, you can't be saying that. Uh, Steve Evans, no. I've, I've spoke to Jim Naylor, who's a Gillingham fan. We know all about Steve Evans. Lovely man, if you get on the right side of him. 
Um, and then um, Neil Redfern, who has, again, been to several clubs. Uh, and then um, I'm going to show shoot three numbers at you, and you're going to match them with the manager. 5, 14, 16, and the managers are Stubbs, Warnock, and Jacket. Well, Jacket's the five games, isn't he? Yeah. That was a disaster. Um, was Warnock 16? Warnock was 16. Stubbs was 14. You're going to have to explain exactly what's going on there. Because this is... Uh, Danny, you, you, you backed the wrong horse. Because it was around the time you started going. Yeah. Um, well, um, yeah, I mean, the disaster season coincided with my first year at, at Rotherham United College. And m- most of the, the students were Rotherham fans. So the main talking point in college during break was how atrocious Rotherham are and it all looks so promising because the man who just won the Scottish Cup with a burner you know he's come to Rotherham oh it could be quite good this and it went down like a lead balloon to be honest and then we got, we got rid of Stubbs eventually and then we brought in Kenny Jacket who we now call Bottle Job Jacket because he only lasted 44 days and 5 games and then he scarpered but silver linings are we brought Paul Ward into it afterwards. Yeah, precisely. And you better be very careful because I'm wearing a Watford Football Club T-shirt and Kenny Jacket is one of our own, uh, although he's doing wonderful things at Leighton Orient now. But yes, I remember that. And things have stopped surprising me about football. I don't know if you followed this Emerson Royal thing. Why would you go to Barcelona, then a month later go to Spurs? Something's fishy. Someone must maybe at The Athletic report that. But yeah, Kenny Jacket, five games. We know about De Boer and the four games at Palace. Why did you take the job? And why did he leave the job? I'd love to know. We were in a terrible position before he came in. We was, I think it was November. But the team that Stubbs had assembled was really, really bad. And we, I don't think we'd won yet. If we'd won, we'd won once. For me, we were staring down the barrel of relegation when he took the job. It's For me, it doesn't make sense. There's... For I assume for legal reasons that nobody's mentioned anything about it, but I'd love to know the exact reason about what went off because something was very dodgy about it. Somebody's lied to somebody with a jacket, lied about how you know the, how well he think he thought he could do, or whether the club wasn't honest about the situation. I don't know. Something wasn't quite right there. Well, yes, and obviously the chairman is still there, Tony Stewart. So you'll have to get him on. I don't know how close yeah. you want to get to him, but. <laughs> The, the Oldham Athletic podcast are very close to the current chairmanship, which isn't going fantastically well. Uh, I think that's right. Um, I've spoken to so many clubs, um, fans, and the, the, I don't know if you listen to any other club podcasts. Danny, do you do this for research? Do you listen to the fan-run podcasts of other clubs? Uh, I tend to have a browse of what they're saying on Twitter. You know, like before a game, I sort of search their hashtag and see what's what the crack is mm-hmm. yeah with, with, with Oldham I mean I had a look in the summer because there was a little bit of, uh, of an issue with their, we had with their owners and their, their fan base they're sort of trying to get the owners to do more reach, reaching out to the fans because something's not quite right at Oldham because um, they had who was it they had Paul Scholes as manager for a little bit but the owner was picking the team yeah, exactly. And the owner was picking the team, and he's come out and publicly said that. So the Oldham fans have gone, well, hang on, what's happening? What else is happening? But no, I think with Rotherham, we have a majority good relationship with Tony Stewart because 
you know, he's, he's the man who, who took us home effectively. And he is quite an, an, an honest person. Like you, you, some owners don't really disclose anything or they're not really involved in the club, but he is invested in Rotherham, both money-wise and, I'd say, uh, heart-wise as well. Yeah, it's so crucial. And whatever happens with Watford, by the grace of Gino Pozzo, go us. Because if Pozzo hadn't come in, we could be late in Orient. We could be... Bar- you know, you see what's happening to Barnet? It's, it, you can't laugh, you have to cry, or vice versa. Um, because, yeah, there are so many professional football clubs. Bury have gone out of business. Bolton almost went out of business. What's going on at Wrexham is a TV documentary that I hope ends well. Uh, but are you conscious that you could be playing Wrexham in a few years in the league? Meanwhile, Rotherham have been run by this chairman for 15 years, whereas good old Deadpool has chucked millions into getting Wrexham out of the non-league tier. It's it's a strange game. Uh, where do you see Rotherham United's place in it? It's interesting. It does stick in the throw a little bit that we are one of the best-run clubs in the country. And we're not probably, There's probably a couple, a couple more that are better, but we're not far off one of the best-run clubs uh, in terms of being financially stable. And then, for example, last season... We got relegated because Derby County cheated the system but still managed to stay up. And it's like, well, we tried to do the right thing and didn't work out for us. They did the wrong thing and it worked out for them. It's it's, diff- it's a difficult situation, but I would take... We've, we've been there twice before. We almost went bust twice. We've had that worry of not almost not having a football club. If Tony Stewart didn't come along, there's a reasonable chance we wouldn't have Rodham United. Certainly his current guys, we wouldn't have Rodham United. So good luck to all these teams, you know, spending. It's only it's only had limited success at Salford so far. So whether it works at Rex, and I assume it will with the money they're spending. I, I, I take our place uh, where we are now over over many many situations though. It's tough because like Watford, you're too good for one division, not enough, not good enough for another. Mm. You are probably the 44th best team. Have I got the maths right? No, 48th best team in the country, mm. and Watford are like 22nd. Yeah. So we're doomed to finish um, not quite there and not quite there. Uh, Wigan have now seemed to have got to, to where you are, or Coventry or Blackpool. And yet the football pyramid needs these clubs, and you would have been broadcasting, and I'll finish here, during all this ESL gubbins about six months ago as we speak. I spoke to a Stoke fan yesterday uh, who's written a book called Saving the Game from Itself. Can football survive... And this is a stupid question. Can football survive without a cold Tuesday night at the New York Stadium? Uh, if it does, I don't want to be involved in that. Football's all about horrible way it is. You know, FA Cup games last couple of years we went to Maidenhead. And I think I'm still, I've still got clothes that are still wet from that day. Oh boy. That's what football's <laughs> all about. It's just about those daft away days on a Tuesday night or, like I said, getting cold and wet, getting a 6-0 spank in one week but then winning 5-0 the week after. Uh, if that stops being the case, that'll stop being the game that I want to watch. Uh, long may it continue the way it is. Here, here, Danny, last word to you. Uh, I think if football continues to have the amount of money injected into it as it does currently, there will be an elite division for the elite clubs and it will just be like a, a closed club just for them. But I think football as we know it and the football that's more fan-orientated and more rooted in its origins to the old professional divisions 
is the one where you go and watch your club at Accrington away on a freezing cold night in February or the cold Tuesday night in Stoke. That, that for me, is the people's football. The ones where you're invested in your club and it's your time and your money going to go and watch that club. The top end of the Premier League, I'd say the, the traditional top six, that's more of your elitist football where it's more money-driven and financially-driven and all that. So if football is to survive the way we want it to, you need teams in the EFL, you need the cold nights, you need the open terraces of the lower divisions. But if football wants to evolve with with the world, with money, it will end up having some sort of elite division. Probably not European, now that that boat sailed, but potentially an elite division in English football where they all play, play each other and all gather the funds together. But lower league football is true football these days. Well, I've got good news and bad news. Uh, the good news is it's not a wet Tuesday night. The bad news is that you go to the Wham Stadium on Boxing Day. Accrington Stanley against Rotherham. So that'll be your Boxing Day trip across the Pennines, should you wish to go. Absolutely. Do have a good Boxing Day away. Hey. <laughs> and and yeah. I know the place where I could go for previews, reviews, YouTube vlogs and other gubbins. I'm saying gubbins a lot. Other, t- not tosh, that's the wrong word. What's a Yorkshire word for stuff? I don't know. Nonsense? Yeah, just, Stuff yeah. and nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. Not, yeah. Nonsense. All no, the nonsense. nonsense. Um, ambitious, but brilliant. The New York Talk podcast available where you get your podcasts. Uh, Danny and Matt, have a wonderful rest of the season. And uh, let's hope that you, for a fifth season in a row, are not in the same division at the start as you are at the end. What a wonderful football club you follow. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's never a boring season with Rotherham, is it? Nope. Never. That's, that's the way we want it. <laughs>